Hi, it's Carolina. I'm so excited that you could join us on the City Point Redcliffe podcast. You're just about to hear a message from one of our incredible preaching team, and I know you're going to be encouraged and inspired by what you hear. If it does encourage you, why don't you share it with someone who you know might need to hear it as well? And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of the messages that are uploaded every single week. And for now, sit back and enjoy. I hope you get blessed. This is not just, we forgot to remove something before taking it to the pulpit. This is a prop, and I love props. Um, all youth pastors love props. And if nothing else, you get them with a prop. Uh, <laughs> but we are speaking tonight on a topic close to my heart around this, stepping into the fullness of Christ for our lives. And let us not live as Christ followers looking at our feet, but let us look up where God is directing. Let us look at the faces of the people that we might be passing by because it might be what God is calling us to or might be a conversation He's calling us to. And as we move into this season of faith, love, hope, it's really, as I said, putting a, a sniper scope on the sights of our lives and focusing in, God, what has been a limiting factor in my life? Because God, I want you to break through it. I'm not satisfied with settling for the way things have been just because it's been that way. I want more of heaven on earth so we can see more of earth go to heaven. And so the scripture we're going to come around tonight is John chapter 11, and it is the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. Plot twist, spoiler alert, it's a resurrection story. And when we enter this story, it is Jesus, and he is familiar with this family. It's a, a family of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, their siblings, and they have come to this point of a couple of encounters with Jesus. Anyway, Lazarus gets unwell, gets sick, and passes away and is put in the tomb. The stones rolled over the tomb, and Mary and Martha uh, are crying at Jesus' feet for the loss of their brother. And we enter the story in this heartbreaking scenario, but there's been a little clue through Jesus' words that this isn't going to be the end, but the start of something new. So when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had all come along with her weeping as well, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. When the Jews said, and then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, because in the crowd, there's always going to be the some of them that says this, could he who opened the eyes not have saved this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone after a rebuke from Jesus, always a good idea. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know you will always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of those around me, that they may know that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, 
his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face as well. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Have you ever turned up to an event and you were not dressed for the occasion? Have you ever, I, I've um, recently officiated um, my brother-in-law and now sis, oh, sister and, I don't know, second sister, I don't know what you call the in-law of the in-law, Dave and Caitlin's wedding. <laughs> and you go, well, what do I wear? Because I don't want to be the guy standing up with the bride and the groom in the wrong thing that clashes or anything like that. You don't want to, not that I was going to do this, but you don't want to rock up to a wedding with board shorts and flip-flops. Some of you do. <laughs> no one in particular. <clears throat> but what you, you do is you dress for the occasion. And uh, this happens in all occasions. You know, I want to go to a formal event. Is it is a black tie? Because then I'm going to wear shorts. No, you wear what's appropriate. And there's a story in um, 2011, we saw the tragedy of the Japanese tsunami from the earthquake. And it w rushed through, and in, in uh, Fukushima, it created the nuclear accident that is the second most uh, worst accident in nuclear power history. And I was watching a documentary on this, because that's me, and... As I was watching this, it was really interesting because all the reporters, all the people who were foreigners came and they were suited up, they were dressed for the occasion in radioactive protective gear. But what was interesting is there were certain people from the companies surrounding the nuclear plant who were in denial saying that all the radiation had been contained. So instead of putting on the appropriate PPE, they just didn't wear any PPE, and they were just walking around like nothing happened. They were not dressed for the occasion. It's a bad thing. Don't do that. I'm not sure where they are now, but I'm guaranteeing they're not well. But in this story, we see that Jesus is pointing out a phenomenon for our life. He has approached a dead man. He is resurrected in life, and he says this, take off the grave clothes. And he says that grave clothes have no place in the resurrected life. Grave clothes have no place in the resurrected life. This is the most grave clothy thing that I could find. It just looks like Easter. Looks like I'm trying to be fashionable. <laughs> there we go. This is my grave clothes. Congratulations. <laughs> But he said, take off the grave clothes because what you used to be defined as, what you used to have on you, what the people used to lay on you, the labels that used to define you, they have no power over you anymore. Grave clothes have no place in the resurrected life. And this is an incredible concept because it makes me ask the question, what clothes am I still wearing that I used to before Jesus? What labels do I still believe in that I was wearing before Jesus? What ideologies, what way of thinking 
do I still attain to and hold to that I held to before Jesus? There is a revelation and a process of transformation in the wake of a resurrection for our life. As Christ followers, we are not meant to live as though we were still dead. We are clothed in righteousness and meant to live in the fullness of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 12, it says this, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given to us. It breaks my heart to think that we have so many dead people walking around or living people walking around as if they were still dead. Living under the mentalities that used to rule them, but now they are freed from sin and given a new life. And Jesus says this, I've come to give you life, not averagely, not so you can survive sin, not so you can just look at your own feet and work it out along the way, but so you can live a life to the abundance he is not in the business of dead men walking. He's in the business of new creation living in the fullness. And so we are not caught up with the way things have used to be just because they were. Romans 12 says it this way. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Colossians says it this way, you have been seated in heavenly places, therefore set your heart on things above and set your mind on things above. You may be called a resurrected son and daughter, but do you believe that? I remember as a young man, I grew up in a Christian context but just because you grow up with a family faith doesn't mean it's your faith. And so I chose to follow him at the age of 13, 14 at the youth camp. Yeah, the youth camp, register for the coming up one. But there was a period of my life where I st struggled with a way of thinking and a habit that perpetuated through the course of years and years and years. And it come th came from a wrong thinking that I was still a sinner and I was no, not a son. I was still a slave rather than under the king. And so there is a process of transformation. There is a removal of the grave clothes of your life. And he does not want you to live under the oppression or the context of the lies or the family heritage or the generational bondages. Just because your father or your mother was an alcoholic does not mean that trend has to continue through your family. Just because your family has a, a, a lineage and a heritage of just being enough and just making it or not having a, a victor ideology doesn't mean that you are destined to the same place. We serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It, it is not a supply issue with heaven. It is a demand issue. economics. <laughs> and so when we come to this place of taking off the grave clothes, there's this renewal of the mind. And as we enter faith, love, hope, as we dare to believe the truth about God, where are you going to set the basis of your belief of what you're going to write down on that paper? Are you going to write down on that paper based on the grave clothes around what you used to believe? 
around what your family has told you all your life, around the words of a friend or maybe the context of your friends? Or are you going to base it on the truth of God and the abundance life that is available for you? This year, I've um, had a kid, but that's not mine. <laughs> but this year, I, I, I did something in my life that I hadn't done before. You know this concept of quiet time? I've um, been horrendous at quiet time in my life. Can I just be honest for a second? Me and Bible plans don't go well together. <laughs> I've always struggled because I end up actually just getting into like three verses and sitting there. And then I get like 52 days behind and I'm like, nah, cancel. <laughs> and I appreciate you all for those in the room that do Bible plans and good on you. <laughs> but I know my lane. My lane's a summer day. And that's what I've started practicing this year, a summer day. And I started, and I think I'm at a hundred and something now. And Psalm 54, there was a commentary that I read that just cried out. It just, it, my heart just captured this phrase. In Psalm, it says in Lang's commentary on Psalm 54, it says, Faith sees the invisible God and bases itself upon the truth of God. See how much of an oxymoron that is? Faith sees the invisible God and bases itself upon the truth of God. There's a quote from a strong Christian through the, the course of history, and his name is Watchman Nee. It's his uh, English name. And it says, All temptation is primarily to look within, to take our eyes off the Lord and take account of appearances. If we resort to the senses to discover the truth, we shall find that Satan's lies are often enough for our experience. When we come into this, this faith, love, hope, when we come into this idea of renewal of the mind, we need to remember something very important around where we base our faith, not on the grave clothes, but on the truth of God, is that appearances can be deceiving. Appearances can be deceiving. Because have you ever realized that everyone has a different perspective of the same story? Like, if you ask me, how I met my wife, and then you ask my wife how I met her, you're probably going to get a slightly different story. They're not incorrect, but there's a different perspective. What did you say? you taking, no, no, you're not taking a jab at me, whatever. <laughs> but I, I heard this, this example saying a young boy came to his dad and said, Dad, why is the kettle boiling? And his dad's like, well, son, when you plug the, the power cord in and you switch it on, you switch on the power, the electrons in the, the system activate, increase the temperature, and what ends it up is you have a boiling water and it changes from the state of a water to a gas and it's sitting somewhere in between. And the boy then goes to his mother and says, Mom, why is the kettle boiling? And she says, because I wanted a cup of tea. Because a different perspective determines what you see. And often we can find ourselves in a scenarios 
where in a negative way, it's a bit of a he said that he, she said that, what did you say? And then, of course, you'd all work with perfect people and your families have absolute clarity and communication. But we find that sometimes perspectives and appearances aren't always the same. Appearances can be deceiving. But it's this idea of where you sit determines your, vantage, uh, determines your vantage point, and your vantage point determines your vision. So when we're coming to this idea of appearances can be deceiving and looking at the same thing, you can look at your life and say, it is terrible. I am under such affliction and such pressure, and I do not know what to do. But meanwhile, you meet someone who is so much worse off than you, and they are so much more joyful than you. And you have no idea why. I remember going on a mission trip in grade 12. We went to a, a Fiji. And uh, as all righteous <laughs> individuals, we went there with a the mission of transforming Fiji for Jesus. Meanwhile, we got to Fiji and we realized that Fiji changed us for Jesus because suddenly we were so aware that we had so much yet had so little, but they had all the joy in the world because appearances can be deceiving. And where your vantage point determines your vision. There's a story in here in John 11 where we see three perspectives on the same scenario. We see a Jesus perspective, we see a Mary, Martha, and call it the people perspective. And there's a critic's perspective, because there's always a critic's perspective. And the critic's perspective is always the most magnetic. And generally, it's the loudest, even if it's the fewest. <laughs> but it's this perspective of Jesus looks at this scenario of Lazarus' deaths, and all he can see is the opportunity for resurrection. Mary and Martha look at this story and say, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but even now we know that you're still king. And then there's the third perspective. Why didn't he, could he who opened the eyes of the blind save this guy? And there's these three parallels on the exact same scenario. And we, what makes sense to me is, of course, they didn't believe that the resurrection was possible. Because our appearances, our perspective of appearance is often framed by continual exposure to something. I'm not sure about you, but my continual exposure generally has been that dead people don't come back to life. And so we can't blame Mary and Martha for going like, but Jesus. But what was interesting is faith sees the invisible God and bases itself upon the truth of God. Jesus said, if you believe, your, your brother will rise again. I wonder what in your life you have discounted because it has just been that way, the same way for, ex for all your history, but now God is saying, well, believe differently. Just because it's been that way before doesn't mean it's going to continue that way. This is the scenario in 1 Samuel 17, where Israel is perched on one side and the Philistines are based on the other side. And Israel has been continually oppressed by the Philistines for years. The continual oppression of the people has conformed an idea that we are an oppressed people. And when the giant comes out, of course, they can't defeat him. But then there's one man 
that has a different perspective. Because he looks at the appearance of the, the Goliath, and instead of seeing the oppressor, he sees his God behind him saying, how much bigger is my God? Because from his vantage point, the vision isn't how big that Goliath is, but how big is my God? And there's something that informs him that his continual exposure to the presence of God, to history in the secret place, informed him in a different way than every other Israelite that was standing there. They had been exposed to oppression. He had been exposed to the presence. And in the presence of God, his exposure was changed. His uh, taking of appearances had changed. His vantage point had changed. He was no longer the slave. He knew who his God was. How much bigger, and he says this, it won't be on the screen. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's flock. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the head, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be one like them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. I've got to say, what is the grave clothes that you are tossing off this year? What oppression, what anxiety, what addiction, what insecurity, what lack are you going to toss off this year? Take off the grave clothes because grave clothes have no place in the resurrection life. You're struggling with any one of those things. It's okay because you know the Savior has come. You know the life has come. I love this story with David because we determined that the secret determines what happens on the surface. The private informs the public. It's not what you see that makes you believe. It was what you believe that makes you see clearly. Hebrews says it this way. Now, faith is the assurance the confirmation and the title deed of the things we've hoped for being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. I love this idea. Secrets. Psalm 46 says this, be still and know that I am God. How do we change our vantage point? How do we change our vision? How do we find ourselves elevated on the perspective of God to see clearly the oppression? You surrender. Your elevation is found in your humility. When exposed in the secret place, in the stillness, when no one else is, you allow the Spirit to inform. You allow the truth of God to inform. You lay it out before him, saying, God, I'm feeling this way. God, this circumstance happened. God, I don't know what to do in this situation. And you allow the Spirit of God to unveil the truth of the circumstance. And it's funny how 
We're so keen in this consumer culture of more, of hustle, of busy, of activity, that for me to stand strong in the spirit, I find myself in the stillness. It's in the stillness. Of course, my boy might be playing on the ground saying weird noises, but it's at least still enough. I go, God, why do I feel tension about this week? Oh, God, this was a difficult conversation. Oh, I feel overextended. Oh, man, I'm praying for that person. You put them in my heart. What were you believing for them? And rather than just living by reaction and emotion and being driven from urgent to less urgent to more urgent and forgetting the important, I find myself on my knees in the stillness of the Spirit and allowing Him to read me saying, God, what are the grave clothes that need taking off today? What is it that I'm allowing from my past to inform my future that you're trying to speak in a different story, a transformation, a renewal of my mind? What does God say about this? What does God say about this? And this is the power of repentance stillness soul. When John the Baptist came, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Where this word repent, it's a very Christian word. I've never said it before in a conversation outside of discussing Jesus. It means to, to change, to turn around. It means to surrender, to yield to a different authority. Repent. Because the way you're thinking right now does not allow the kingdom of heaven to enter in. The spirit of repentance. And so this evening, as we enter into this faith, love, hope, my question again for you is, hey, what are these grave clothes that you've been wearing? You've been wrapped up maybe with someone else's thoughts, maybe someone else's opinion, maybe someone else's lack. Maybe it's just the continued exposure to the way you've been behaving in the past. But there is resurrection life. And God wants to take these off you and let you run in the fullness of the Spirit of God. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message inspires you to unmistakably influence your world for good and for God. Go ahead and share it with a friend. And can I invite you to connect with us on one of our many social media platforms as well? Most importantly, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to say congratulations. This is the beginning of a life-changing journey. We'd love to see you at one of our many City Point Church services around the world this Sunday. And you can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We would be so thrilled to see you there.